So you know how when you get old enough, you start to mix up names and dates and numbers and forget things? No. No clue what that's like. It's like when mom or grandma starts going through all the names of all the kids and, uh, until she gets to the right one, right? Like we all tracking. Anybody's mom or grandma do that? She's like saying the pets' names, naming kids from other families. You're sitting there like, who is Steve? So my grandma Wakefield, my grandma Wakefield was the worst offender at this, uh, which was weird because she was very much a Wakefield type A. I don't know if you know me very well. I'm a bit type A. Um, so, so it was weird because she would uh, go through other names. And the crazy part is not only was she type A, but dad was her only child. <laughs> I remember thinking as a kid, grandma, how do you mess that up? And this is a woman who was very fastidious, like she was on point about everything. She was the queen bee of the Wakefield type A gene. And, you know, the grandma who covered the couch so they don't actually sit on it, right? That was my grandma. She had everything in the whole house labeled. And the labels would have a history of how it was acquired, um, how much it cost, and why you had better not throw it away when she dies. True story, uh, which was a little weird because as a kid, I'm like, Ma, Grandma, I know this is a refrigerator. So anyway, uh, that kind of stuff was just the beginning. And yet somehow, even my grandmother, who had one sibling and one son, would always mix up my dad's name for her brother's. She would always uh, do that. So it was sort of weird. And I used to think she was weird until about 10 years ago. You can already see where this is going, apparently. True story. Ten years ago, I began to experience early onset of my personal inability to manage the details of life, which, if you know me, type A freak, uh, it's kind of humbling for me personally. Um, So true story. Ten years ago, for about six full months, when somebody asked me how old I was, I said, I'm 37. Until my eight-year-old daughter said, Daddy, you're not 37. You're 36. For six months, I had been accidentally lying about my age. And she said, Dad, you're not 37. You're 36. So I did the math in my head real quick. And I'm like, yes, I'm 36. (laughs) Thanks, Steve. (laughs) Yeah. So I had this weird moment at that time of uh, feeling like, ah, I gained a new, a new lease on life, at least for a moment there, thinking I had an additional year of life. Uh, fast forward, no lie, true story. Last week, last week, I kid you not, I'm thinking about my upcoming birthday. And uh, by the way, I like Oreos and all things Reese's. So I was thinking about my upcoming birthday, and I was thinking, holy cow, I'm going to be 47 years old in a couple of weeks. I cannot believe I'm 47 years old. And then I remembered from 10 years uh, previously the my 8-year-old is smarter than me incident. And uh, so, duh, you can see where this is going. I kid you not, true story. In the moment, I started doing the math again, like, okay, started 1973, all right, 83, 93, 2003. This is how I have to count. Uh, 2013, and then I go, okay, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 46. I'm like, 
I have another year of life. Seriously, it felt for a moment, like in that moment, for just a moment, I felt like I gained an entire year of life all over again. It's like when you open the Oreo package and you look in the inside and it's empty, but then you realize, ooh, there's more inside. (laughs) Moral of the story, of course, is to embrace forgetfulness. That's embrace forgetfulness because then you can rediscover old things as if they're new again. So uh, just get used to that, young people. Uh, So seriously, though, And I know this sounds like I'm making this up, but it's true. In that moment a a week ago, (laughs) I I know Easter's coming up. I know we're going to be talking about resurrection today. And in that small moment of stupid, I mean, serendipity, I had this feeling of like, seriously, this is what resurrection is like. Like for just a moment, I thought, I have a new lease on... And then I could get hit by a bus. I get it. I know. I'm reasonable. I understand the consequences of possibilities. But I thought for that moment, this is what it's like to like wake up every morning and to know I have new life forever. And I know we're just talking about like Oreos and, and counting wrong, but I, but I felt like I experienced a moment a week ago of resurrection. Of resurrection. Now, here's the thing about resurrection, friends. You do not know new life, right? You don't know new life until you've known death. You don't know resurrection and the experience of new life in Christ until you've known and acknowledged your own death. And don't miss what I'm saying. I'm not saying experiencing resurrection means acknowledging that I'm going to die. I'm saying if you don't experience if you don't experience that moment of stopping the belief that it's breathing and self-sufficiency and smarts and control and material resources and manipulating the world around you that makes you alive, if you don't stop that illusion and that belief, you will never experience resurrection. You can't experience resurrection, in fact, until you understand very clearly in biblical terms that you are a slave to sin, that you are spiritually dead, and that your own sin is what created the distance between you and God. You can't experience it until you've experienced that distance between you and God. Now, now, that distance between you and God because of sin is what the people of God were experiencing in exile in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. In the Old Testament book of Ezekiel that we're going to study here in just a moment here, it was about 600 years B.C. before Jesus comes, and things for the people of God then were bleak. Exile had become their story. E-X-I-L-E. Exile had become their story. They were taken captive by a foreign power. They were driven from their home. They were living in a strange land. They felt hopeless and lost. And they didn't know when their deliverance from God was going to come, and they didn't know how it was going to come. You see, for the people of God in the Old Testament, like in Ezekiel, exile was far more than sort of a geographical displacement or dislocation. It it wasn't just about being under the control of a foreign power politically. True exile was the grief and the pain that is associated with feeling like the whole thing is your fault because you and your people have sinned against God. So this was a big deal for them. This had become a metaphor for the consequences of sin that put them, put us into a state of lostness. And think about this. Exile, exile is like this because it goes all the way back to the garden. Think about what happened when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. God kicks them out. 
because he's perfect and can't be in the presence of sin. So exile goes all the way back to the garden. And this had become their story. Displaced from the presence of God because of sin. Friends, simple question. And we'll ask versions of this question throughout. Is that you today? When you're honest, would you say, I think I'm experiencing some spiritual deadness. Maybe you feel without purpose because you've, you've learned to give your life to pursue your glory instead of God's glory. It's a version of the same thing. Here's the crazy thing, though. You're not alone. Many in this room are and have experienced that. And the people of God in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 37, were experiencing exactly that kind of uh, spiritual deadness. Jump in Ezekiel 37, where we'll pick it up in verse 1. This is where Ezekiel the prophet, uh, a prophet's a mouthpiece, a spokesperson for God, he was sent by God to speak to the people who were in exile. So he has a special word for the people who feel lost. And maybe for you today. says this, verse 1. Jump in. Ezekiel writing. He says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. Now press pause real quick. The language used here in verse 1, it describes a vision from God and being supernaturally persuaded and led by Him. The hand of the Lord was upon me and He brought me out. So being supernaturally uh, led by God and uh, sort of persuaded by Him, uh, by the way, is what it takes to wake up from spiritual deadness, friends. So also notice here that Ezekiel was led by the Spirit, it says, of the Lord. This Hebrew word for Spirit here is used ten times in our 14 verses, which is to say Ezekiel wants to make clear that it was God that is leading him through this. You'll see this throughout the whole passage. There's one time where it's different than this, but the whole thing is the action of God. It is the Spirit of God that makes this happen. Keep reading. It was full of bones, which is awesome. Uh, Verse 2. It says he led me, uh, God led Ezekiel around among them, meaning in and out of the bones to get a full picture of the scene. And behold, two things, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. There were lots of them and they were dry. So this is a valley full of dry bones that is uh, some sort of post-catastrophe. It's a scene of total death, uh, probably after a battle. So as the Spirit of God is leading Ezekiel around the destruction to take in the full weight and the impact of the scene, Ezekiel is distraught because he's thinking to himself, Oh no, these bones are the remains of my people. You see, Ezekiel has just seen some of his own people's bodies scattered along the desert road as they were being led out from their homeland into exile and into the control of a foreign power. So this isn't just a vision without a context. This was a vision from God to Ezekiel that described the exile and the dislocation, the destruction, the pain, the suffering, the spiritual lostness that Ezekiel's people were experiencing then. Which is to say... Sometimes, probably we should say all the time, it takes the Spirit of God taking us around to see clearly the wreckage of sin in our life and in the lives of people around us. So things are bleak. (laughs) Things are bleak. 
And as Ezekiel looks over this valley of dry bones of his own people, God asks him this important question. Look at this. And he said to me, God asked Ezekiel, son of man, that's just son of Adam, just means human. It's not a reference to Jesus at this point. He said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? On the face of it, kind of a ridiculous question, because if I'm Ezekiel and God asks me that question and I'm standing there in a valley full of dry bones where all the other bodily remains have long since been eaten by the birds or withered away, I'm thinking the obvious answer is, duh, no. Of course these bones can't live. There are no tendons, no muscles, no skin, no blood. Uh, maybe, maybe you look at your own life and you feel similar. Can your bones, can your dry bones live? The answer very easily for us oftentimes is no. But, but, Ezekiel hasn't forgotten who has given him this tour here. And who is the one who's going to do the action, giving him the vision. And he also recognizes who asked the question. Look at Ezekiel's response. Can these bones live, he asks. And I answered, Ezekiel said, keep reading verse 3. O Lord God, notice how Ezekiel addresses God as sovereign Lord, Lord God, that's another way of saying sovereign God, you know, you know, meaning you alone know, it's like he's saying, Lord, only you can actually answer that, only you can make dry bones live, and Ezekiel's no dummy, he acknowledges this here in verse 3, and so his, his response is uh, to throw himself entirely upon the will and the power of God. Only you know the answer to that question, Lord. I can't do it. You know. Here's what God's answer looks like. Keep reading verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, this is good, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Now don't miss this important point that's introduced here in verse 4. The only active thing that these dry bones do throughout the entire scene is to hear the word of the Lord. In the Bible, the word to hear is not about auditory processing of sound waves. It's about listening and obeying. To hear in Scripture is to listen and to obey. Which is to say, to hear the word of the Lord really is about the message of God permeating the heart in a way that changes the whole body from the inside out. We tracking? That's how dry bones live. It's the only way they live. God's message permeating the heart in a way that changes the whole body from the inside out so that it is ultimately God's Word that works. So, so Ezekiel the prophet here, is called to be a mouthpiece for God's message and to say to the spiritually dead bones that are all around him, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 5, Thus says the Lord God to these bones. God's sort of functionally speaking now through Ezekiel. Behold, I will cause breath 
Circle that word, underline it. We'll come back to it. Put it in your back pocket. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you, will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin, which notice is the opposite of decomposition. In other words, from inside out, bones, tendons, muscles, skin. I will lay sinews upon you, cause flesh to come upon you, cover you with skin and put breath, there's the word again, in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. If you hear my word, God says, I will do these things and bring you to life and you shall know me as Lord. So, verse 7. Ezekiel says, I prophesied as I was commanded, meaning he spoke as he was called. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, this is sort of cool and creepy. Uh, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. Uh, sinews is just another word for tendons. Uh, flesh or muscles had come upon them, and skin had covered them, and they began to dance. Just kidding. You're like, is that in there? So verses 7 to 8 here, uh, bodies were beginning to form. Okay? Uh, Ezekiel the prophet does what God says. Bodies begin to form. Uh, bodies begin to form. But there's a problem. And it's stated here at the verse 8 as kind of a problem. It says, but there was no breath in them. (laughs) There was no breath in them. Now this is important to see here. This word breath uh, is uh, the Hebrew word ruach. Uh, We're going to Hebrew lesson for just a moment here. It's the word ruach. So go and press your friends with knowing a Hebrew word. Uh, The word for breath here is ruach. And it's the same word as the word spirit as in God's spirit throughout this entire passage, which is to say it is the Ruach of God that leads Ezekiel through the valley of dry bones, and it's the Ruach of God that makes bones and bodies truly alive. So the problem here at the end of verse 8 isn't so much that there's no breath, right, no air in these newly formed bodies. The problem is that there's no, no, none of God's spirit in them. To say at the end of verse 8, there was no breath in them, means there was the appearance of life, but without actual life. Which is to say that bodies without God's Spirit in them are as good as dry bones, friends. If the breath of God's not in you, if the breath of God's not in you, you are only the sad semblance of life that is not life. If the breath of God's not in you, then you are the walking dead. If the breath of God is not in you, hear this, the best you will ever do is the temporary pretense of satisfaction that comes with manipulating people and the world around you. Which is to say spiritual deadness is a state in which you'd better just go ahead and eat, drink, and be merry and and grab all the lusts of the world for yourself that it has to offer because that will be as good as it ever gets for you. So verse 9, let's keep rolling. He said to me, God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord, Come from the four winds, meaning the four corners of the earth. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. 
So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and look at this, they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is cool here. God is foreshadowing here, 600 years before Jesus and before the church, he's foreshadowing here his plan to create for himself a people who will be alive with his spirit and who will fight for his glory. That's who we are. When we have the Spirit of God among us as the gathered people with a calling that is beyond ourselves to be about helping people find and follow Jesus' resurrection. This is an early church picture, an early picture of the church as a sort of reconstituted people of God who are fully alive and who are ready for battle. You see, friends, when God breathes life into his people, they become an exceedingly great army that is ready for spiritual battle. So I don't know why why you think you came here today, but we came prayed up and ready for you to receive Jesus. Don't be deceived by by, by pretty lights and technology that most of the time works. Things like that, right? This is about the Spirit of God making people new. And when we veer from that as a church or as Christians or as marriages or as families, we have taken on a vision for our life that says, I don't need the Spirit of God. I can do what I want. This comes as a warning to say, enjoy that in the here and now. Because that's the fullness of your enjoyment without the Spirit of God in you to make you new. So it's important to see, as we asked earlier, friends, it's important to see spiritual deadness if it's in you. It's important stuff. God wants to bring together for Himself a people who are ready to fight for His glory. And so that's what we do here. And uh, so, so God's calling the people of God to that here in Ezekiel, calling us to that. And here's, here's the cool thing. Keep, keep reading. We're getting to resurrection here. Look at verses 11 and following. Then he said to me, God said to Ezekiel, he said, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, this is the, the people of God in exile crying out to help. And this is God recognizing that they're crying out. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy, Ezekiel, and say to them, thus says the Lord. Now, now press pause. We'll get to the good, good stuff here in just a second. But notice this. This is significant. Notice how the sort of scene changes here. Suddenly, we're no longer speaking of the present in Ezekiel. But this is God speaking of a future resurrection from the dead where those dry bones will find true life. Where Don't miss this. Where the Lord God, the sovereign God in verse 12, is the active agent of the new life after death. He alone brings the hope of resurrection from the dead for His people. Look at all the ways He says that and makes that clear. Thus says the Lord God, verse 12, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from the grave, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. 
And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Listen to this again. Listen to this again. 600 years before Jesus. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves. 600 years later, 600 years later, one of Jesus' disciples, the first followers of Jesus named Luke, uh, described what it looked like when God's promise in Ezekiel came true and God opened the graves of his people, starting with Jesus. Listen to Luke 24, 1 to 9 here. It says this But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves. Luke 24 is what the restoration of your dry bones looks like. It is the beginning of your restoration from the grave promised in Ezekiel 37. And it starts with the resurrection of Jesus who is new life. You see, God opening Jesus' grave was God opening your grave. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves. Friends, do you know today that He is Lord and that your grave is open? Because friends, you can't resuscitate dry bones with worldly means, street smarts, Lots of resources, human ingenuity, being good enough. It requires resurrection. So friends, when your life, when your life feels like exile, when hopelessness and despair and depression and fatigue, they overtake you for the thousandth time. When you're at your worst and you feel like there's no hope whatsoever, when you don't know how any of it's going to work, when you're at the end of yourself for the thousandth time, friend, hear the Spirit of God asking you, can these bones live? And know that because Jesus lived the sinless life, you can't. He died the death you deserve, and He was raised to new life to open your grave you can know that He is Lord. Let's pray, friends. Father, forgive us.